So as a slight introduction from the very beginning of the Parsha, we see that God commands Avraham to go, to pick up, and to leave, and to travel to destinations unknown. And Avraham travels, and again, without going through all the verses in Perak Yudbet up to Pasuk Yud, but we find Avram making various stops, building uh, Mizbeach or two, and then we get to Pasuk Yud. Vayira av ba'aretz, there was a famine in the land. Vayirat Avram Mitzrayim alagursham, kikavedar av ba'aretz. And Avram goes down to stay for a bit in Egypt because the famine was extreme in the land. And as he nears the place, he says to his wife, it's still named Sarai at this point, he says, I know that you're, you are a very attractive woman. And when the Egyptians see her and say, oh, that's his wife, they're going to kill me and you will survive. So he comes up with a plan and we, we're quite familiar with this because it will repeat itself numerous times. Say instead that you're my sister, in order that I should benefit from this. And therefore I will survive, I'll live because of you. Now, of course, the problem till this point is if Avram knows that this is what's going to take place, so there's a chance that this is going to take place, then why in the world would he go to this place? Now, if you're going to tell me that this is the only place where there's food and essentially it's either choosing death by remaining where he was or choosing a chance of uh, running into all types of complications and he chooses the complications over death, then we can understand it. Otherwise, it does seem somewhat problematic. Pasuk Yudalit, V'yikavo avar Mitzrayma, when he comes there, V'yuro Mitzrayma te isha ki himaod, and the people see that she is exceedingly beautiful. V'yuro ota sarei paro, V'yalalu ota el paro, V'tikach isha beit paro. They praise her to paro, the, the ministers praise her to paro, and paro takes her. Question is what it means, V'tikach isha beit paro, it could actually be the language of marriage. And Avram benefits from this situation. And all kinds of uh, possessions. But then God strikes down Paro. Not strikes down, he strikes Paro. He and his palace, his household. On the matter of having taken Sarai, the wife of Avram. What, what have you done to me? Now, the question, of course, is how does he know there are those who will understand that they were struck that by this point they know. And how do they know? It could even be that Sarah says it. You know, what are you talking about? I'm married. And he says, Why don't you tell me? And that's the 
what indicates that he actually married her. You know, why would I take her as a wife if I would have known? Take your wife and go. And he commands and he leaves. Now, the Ramban asks a devastating question, which I think I've already partially introduced. Although the truth is the Ramban has multiple things to say. I mean, I think we could divide the Ramban into maybe three or four different elements. But had anybody today tried what the Ramban does, especially one particular section, then they would have been accused of all kinds of terrible things. I think the language that they would have used is that he is presenting Tanakh Begova Enayim, that he's presenting things you know, in a little bit too much of a familiar fashion, that he's turning our biblical heroes into uh, pedestrian individuals, looking Gova Enayim, looking them eye to eye instead of looking at them as being spiritual giants. But, but let's start. The Ramban doesn't, doesn't start that way. He gets there, but he doesn't start that way initially. So let's take a look at what the Ramban does. V'hi Rav Ba'aretz. In order to survive during the time of the of the famine, the drought, and they abused him by taking his wife. And therefore, God struck them with great pains and punishments. And he left there, having uh, acquired a great deal of wealth. And not only that, he had a whole entourage that that power instructed to take him out. He then identifies a midrash, which, which he will like, and he'll tell us about the midrash in a moment. But first, he starts with a word called remez. He says, "V'ramaz alav keep that the day will come. That his descendants, Avram's descendants, will go down to Egypt, because of a, of, of a famine, and they'll live in that land. And they're going to treat them in a in, in a negative way, in a bad way. And essentially, what he's telling us now is a theory that we know better by its name as Maaseavot Siman Levanim, that they too will take the woman, the women, as it says. The girls will live. God is going to strike Egypt with great plagues. Until they finally leave with a great deal of wealth. And with a great deal of things. And that, they're going to grab hold of them in order to send them out. Which means what the Ramban essentially described over here is that the story of Avram is a microcosm and the story that will take place with Am Yisrael and Yisrael is the macrocosm. And then he continues and he says, And not one element of what took place in terms of the micro of Avraham will not take place among the children of Israel. And he continues and tells us, as I indicated before, that this is not just the Ramban's thought, but rather this is something which he has seen in Chazal. Go and create this spiritual energy for your children. 
Everything which Avram does ends up having an impact for the children. Now, all of this till this point actually sounds, I would almost say, positive. Why? Because if Am Yisrael at one point going to go down to Egypt, as we're later going to find out by the Brit Bain Abtarim, and of course, you know, we've identified an intrigue in the past with the Brit Bain Abtarim that may well have already taken place prior to this point in terms of the whole complication with the age of Avram. So the Brit Bain Abtarim is going to take place anyway. Am Yisrael is going to go down to Egypt anyway. But this way, what's going to happen is they're going to be saved. They're going to be protected. They're going to end up believing Baruch Gadol which means Avraham is is creating the imprint in the ground, the footsteps that will be followed by his children. So therefore, if they're going to go anyway, so therefore Avraham is creating the way that they're going to end up coming out. And as I said, at this point, I can argue that everything that the Ramban has told us is actually should be understood positively. But then the Ramban shifts on us and he says the following, Vida, and you should know, Avram inadvertently created a terrible mistake, terrible sin. That he brought his his righteous wife, and he put her in this stumbling block of a sin. Because he was afraid they would kill him. And he should have had faith that God would have protected him. Why in the world does he start with this whole game? It's my sister and so on. He says he never should have done that. He should have had faith that God will. God said, I'm going to protect you. God said, although again, when that took place, that God said, I'll protect you. He did say, who you bless will be blessed. You curses, you will be cursed. Because God has the ability, the power to save. So now to compound it, he gives Avram a second sin. Not only did he sin in terms of setting his wife up in such a compromising situation, but furthermore, by leaving Israel in the first place because there was a famine, was itself a sin. Because even during a time of famine, God can save us from death. And then the Ramban has this surprise conclusion, which we didn't necessarily see coming. Because of this, that I think I read that correctly. Sorry, not sure. What he's saying is that because of Avraham's sin, therefore, now I'm not sure how to read this. Is it that because of the sin, they will go into Galut? By the way, recall, in the Brit Benaptarium, it never told us where they're going to go. Or that because of this sin, that when they go, which is contractually mandated by the Brit Benaptarium, now it will specifically be Egypt because of this. Which means the Ramban's not exactly clear which way he means it. I'm going to say that again. Is he saying that because of Avram's behavior and doing this and going there, Am Yisrael or the children will one day go into Galut? Or is he saying that because Avram went to Egypt, when they go into Galut, they're going to go into Egypt? And if you want, we can read it again and, and try to discern which way he actually means that. He writes, 
ומעל המעשה הזה נגזר על זרוע הגלות בארץ מצרים ביד פרעה. So I think you can read this either way and I will leave you to determine which of those ways you prefer. Now what we're going to see is as we can continue those who walk down the same path as it were as the Ramban and come to a completely different conclusion those who approve of the question of the Ramban but will turn the question into an answer and I'll explain that in a moment and those who absolutely cannot accept what the Ramban is saying that Avram has uh, such sin but rather there's a completely different dynamic taking place so let's 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 take a look First, Rabbeinu B'chayi, who, by the way, more often than not, will explain the Ramban. Over here, he leaves off the key point. Rather, what he does is he builds up the whole argument for Maseavot L'Siman L'Banim. And he explains it a little bit more in depth. He explains And then he spells out all the things that the Egyptians will do. And again, one after the other after the other. Therefore, which means essentially it's like the first part of the Ramban, and all of this is just left in this positive way. And this negative aspect of it, again, seems to be missing. The Sfarno, and we're going to come back to this point, he says that when they come to Egypt, the Sforno warns us, based upon, he could have brought a host of different verses. He warns us that Egypt may not have been the best choice because Egypt is a place which is known as being morally corrupt. So the very fact that Avram chooses to go to Egypt is itself something which is disturbing, unless, again, you'll say that's where he had to go. That's where the there wasn't a famine. That's where there wasn't a drought. And that's where the Nile perhaps overflows. And therefore, he chose his location based upon... Uh, Where's the best chance of survival? But nonetheless, he says, Lavo Mitzrayma, as they start to come to Egypt, where he warns about his wife, say to Sarah, say that really, my sister, Beit Havad Luznut. This is a place which is a, a, a place which is corrupt, a place of moral decay. And he spells this out a little bit more based on Yechezkel. There are other places he could have, as I said, cited as well. Now, the Al-Sheikh is going to be particularly interesting, and I'm, I'm not convinced we'll read the whole thing. But as far as the, the Al-Sheikh is concerned, this question is so powerful, and he's going to make it even stronger than the Ramban does. But then he's going to do something interesting with it. And as far as I can tell, he's going to end up with the conclusion the question is too strong, and therefore it can't be. Because it can't be, meaning how bad do you want to make Avraham? So let's look at the way that he, that he phrases it. And, and as I said, I think his turn of phrase is interesting. Od kushyashniya. There's another question. And he says, it's too much for me. It's enormous. Would Avram really come to such a, a plan where end up losing his soul? That he would leave Sarah. Who's even greater than him as a prophet. Meaning, essentially saying, how can you put, forget it. A general relationship. How can a man put his wife in such a compromising situation? How can Avram put Sarah, who's even a greater prophet than he is, although the truth is I don't know how we know that yet. That he's going to put her in a situation where she 
a married woman will end up being prostituted in such a way? Meaning, this is, it's not just a question of morality. I mean, how can Avram do such a thing? Now, this is making a little bit, he's not making fun, but, but, but he is, he is not even exaggerating. He's articulating the question. The Gemara says that Avram kept every single thing, even Erev Tavshilin. So you're going to say that Avram kept Erev Tavshilin, but he didn't keep the Shev Mitzvah Bnei Noach, and he was willing to put his wife in such a morally compromising situation. How can this be? How could he say? It's such a bitter thing to say. Okay, you know, go. That he, I'm sorry for using this turn of phrase, that he pimps out his wife so that he can survive. Go sleep with these non-Jews and therefore save me. Who can even hear such a thing being articulated and their ears don't ring? Which essentially he's saying that the question is so bad. Now that's a very interesting way that he said it. He didn't say that therefore the conclusion is that look how bad Avram is, like the Ramban said, that Avram sinned. And he says it's so bad that the Ramban thought it was a sin. So you note, you note what he's doing. He's essentially saying the question is so strong and then he moves away from it. And however, this is one of the things that the rabbis say, but this is one of the, one of the ten tests that Avram endures. Rather, he gets to Israel and immediately has to go down to Egypt. Again, why, why choose Egypt? Now, now, this may be getting a little confusing, but essentially what he's saying, again, and I want to make sure that we understand this, he has moved away from the attack against Avraham, and he's distancing himself from the attack, even though he said at face value there's something horrific going on. But what he's saying is, hold it, let's pay attention a little bit. You know, there is, and I want to put a word to it, I want to come back to this later, there is a nomadic aspect to Avraham's existence. He's been traveling constantly south from as far as we know him, from Urkazdib to Haran, coming down into Israel, and, 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 and moving down south and south and south and south. And what he's saying is that he's going, again, he, he quoted a verse there, he's traveling Hanegba, he's traveling to the south, so he continues. Hanegba. He Israel. He gets to the very south of Israel. Essentially, what he's saying is that you have Avram, who has all kinds... I mean, again, he's nomadic. He's like the Bedouin. There's nothing in this land right now to, to feed his flocks. So as a shepherd does, he continues to travel south. Meaning... Again, the Ramban saw this as, as, as how can you leave Israel? Although, again, let, let's just pose a question, and I'm not going to be the only one to pose this question. God said to Avram, you go to the land that I'm going to show you. He gets to Canaan, and God says, I'm going to give you this land. As of this point, he has not given him the boundaries of the land. 
Avogadro's travel south. How? I mean, is there a sign there someplace saying, "Okay, you're now leaving Brooklyn, right? You're now leaving Canaan." There's no sign like that. There's no sign saying, "Okay, this is as far as you can go." Which means, how in the world is Avram supposed to know? Then, as the Ramban says, oh, but you should have not known now that you've left Canaan." Although, by the way, we could make the argument that uh, the Haftacha, the, 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 the giving of the land, is all the way to Nahar Mitzrayim, which means w- the Ramban, as much as he picks on the Ramban, again, for two things. One is the, the situation with Sarah, and the other is, is for leaving the land of Israel. How exactly was he supposed to know that that is wrong? So again, what the, what the Al-Sheikh is doing is he's softening all of this. They know he's traveling south, traveling south the whole time, and he just goes a little bit further south, because that, that's where he goes. Although we do have to recognize that he realizes that there is some kind of danger involved. Otherwise, he never would have warned his wife, oh yeah, by the way, deny that we're married. So obviously, it's not just, you know, let's just say everything is completely perfect. There, there is danger getting involved. But again, one has to know what the alternatives are. But he continues, says, and again, like we had seen before in Rabbeinu Mechai, he also recognizes and knows that Egypt is a place of uh, moral turpitude. It's a place that uh, that he knows is problematic. So again, that is certainly something that we need to understand. But he continues and he says, that God is planning all this from the beginning to end. That it was very possible for whenever the Jews go into exile that they could be lost, they'll be assimilated, they'll disappear. And we'll skip a little bit over here. And he says, Meaning, why were the Jews saved? Because they said three things. This midrash is going to say four things. That one of the things I know that you're more familiar with. They didn't change their names. They didn't change other things, and so on. But over here, it says no. The main thing is is that they stayed away from the moral corruption in Egypt. That if they would have completely um, mixed with the Egyptians in terms of sexual promiscuity, then the Jewish people would have disappeared. That's what the verse means by so what the Alshech does is he quotes a Midrash that the Ramban decided not to quote. And the Midrash says that because Sarah was there and because Sarah was saved, therefore the Jewish women who will go down when the Jews are exiled into Egypt, they will be saved. Because Yosef stayed away from Eshet Potiphar that saved the men, which means essentially what what he's saying is that the question is so strong and it can't be that Avram is guilty. It can't be that something, quite the opposite, that part of God's plan was that Sarah would be in a 
situation which was difficult and then be saved. So therefore, he had to put her into a compromising situation in order to save her, in order to get to a situation that when the Jews are in a compromising situation, that they'll be saved, that this creates the Maseyah of Banim, which is essentially what's fascinating is that, you know, if you think about it, Rabbeinu Bachaye, the Ramban, the Alshech, they all have the same things opened in front of them. And nonetheless, they come to very different conclusions, which means, I said it in passing at the very beginning, that what the Ramban sees as a question and an indictment against Avram, the Al-Sheikh sees the hand of God creating a situation in order to save Am Yisrael. The Ramban allowed and acknowledged that there was a situation of Maaseya Votzim Lebanim, but but it was incredible what we had there was a Palginun Dibura. He divided between the two. He goes, Yeah, on the one hand there was Maaseya Votzim Lebanim, but on the other hand Avram did something terrible. But because of the Maaseya Votzim so the Jews are going to somehow going to benefit. And what the Al Sheikh said, No, no, that, yeah, it looks like a sin, but it's not a sin because this was God's plan in order to save the Jewish people down the line. So again, it's it's just very interesting how they're looking at the exact same sources and they're coming to very different conclusions. God created the microcosm in order to inspire those later with the macrocosm Avram Visara. That this was one of the tests that Avram endured. He comes through with flying colors. There's no sin over here. What are you talking about? Completely different. Okay, so it's it's interesting. But I I want to continue a little bit more. If we look at the verse that we really started with, where it says that Avram goes down, the, the word that it used over here, is Lagorsham. Lagorsham. So the Sforno, and then we'll see echoed by the Nitziv, and six the Sforno writes Lagorsham, Lolishtakea, to live there a little bit. It doesn't mean Vayeshev, right, Yaakov, right? Lagorsham, to be a stranger. The the Nitziv, Lagorsham, Liot Kiger, Lolishtakea, which is word for word the Sforno, but he adds in Chasfishalom. Right, it's, uh, he says this, and you know, he can't even consider that. He rejects the Ramban as well. Kafala katuv lo deki kaved harav ba'aretz. It said it twice that there was a famine. Shaya efsher l'shadelam koruk l'shol of toruk b'shem. Again, kafala katuv lo dia shakol ochi efsher l'shadelam koruk l'shol of toruk b'shem. As long as he could have sold of his, his possessions and trusted in God, asa. By the way, again, exact opposite of the Ramban. He should have trusted. He says, no, as long as there was a path to survival, he would have taken it. Ad she, she it became too enormous as he followed what we find in the Gemara, in Baba Kama, Ra'av ba'ir, if there is a famine, pazer then then move your feet, go. Right? Tanu Rabbanan, Rav Ba'ir, Pazer Aglecha, Shanemar. And what Pasuk does the Gemara bring to prove this point? Vayi Rav Ba'aretz, Vayi Avram, Mitzrayim, Lagurisham. Which means the very Pasuk that the Ramban thinks that Avram sinned, the Gemara uses to establish a halacha that if there is a famine in a city, leave. 
So therefore, how can the Rabban Kavit say that he did something wrong? And, and therefore, this was a test, but, but he understood this is what God wants. So no, and this was God's will. And it's not like the Ramban says, oh no, he should have uh, trusted and should have stayed and so on. He goes, essentially, the, the you know, the, the Nitziv, our one of our favorite Rosh Hashivas, the Rosh Hashiva Velozhin, he's uh, he's turning to the Ramban and says, you know, it's very nice you think Avram sinned. You know, Ramban, of course, is our favorite Zionist, and how can he leave Israel? That was a sin. How can he wife for the situation? That's a sin. How you? But the Ramban is saying, excuse me. That's a, not only is this a halacha that we find in the Gemara. The Gemara learns it from Avram that it's the right thing to do. So he's turning to the Ramban and saying, what are you talking about? How can, how can you say such a thing? Which again, but he's not even arguing with the Ramban. He, he, he doesn't even think that. The Ramban said he should have had more uh, faith. He said he had faith. How much faith did he have? He, he would have sold whatever he needed to sell, but there was, that's it. There was no food to be had. So therefore, he ends up leaving. And uh, so, so therefore, as I said, he, he doesn't see the Ramban's point whatsoever. He disagrees with the Ramban again from the very beginning. And by the way, I mean, I, I could have brought other places. This was just very easy. The Orech HaShulchan in source number eight in Yeridaya, he paskins like this, Gemara, and just in case you needed someone to. You know, if there's a magefa, then run. And again, that's our Gemara. Ra'av ba'ir, pazeraglacha. If there is a famine, then run away. A person is not allowed to endanger themselves. A person must be careful. If there is a something in, in there's a famine or if there's a plague, then you need to get away from it. So as as I, as I said, I didn't have to go that far to the Aruch Shulchan, but it was just easy. It was accessible, and it would be one thing if this were a halacha and just leave it at that. But it's not only is it found in the Gemara, but the Gemara. I, I know I'm repeating myself quotes the Pesach with Avraham, not just with approval, but as it establishes our normative behavior about how we should orient ourselves in a place where there's a plague or a famine. So again, the Ramban's complaint against Avraham sort of gets, uh, you know, outflanked when you consider that you have a source in the Talmud Bavli that's just not only approving what Avraham does, but it establishes precedent for future behavior. The Sheer Ma'on. So, those of you who don't know, Abba, if you don't know who the Shirma'on is, it, it, it's, it, it's your neighbors. El You're thinking, of course, which neighbor? So, we'll, we'll, we'll see in a second. That's why I left the biographical information over there. The Shirma'on is written by somebody named Rav Shimon ben Rav Avram Shmuel ben Yam Sofer or Schreiber. He was born in 1850. His father was the Ketav Sofer. His grandfather was the Ketam Sofer. He held a rabbinic position in a city called Eger, or it was known by the Jews as Erloi. So if you're wondering where where exactly the quote the quote unquote Hasidim, we know they're not really Hasidim, they just look like Hasidim and they dress like Hasidim, they sound like Hasidim, they act like Hasidim, but they're not Hasidim. They're 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 Erloi. They're Erloi, the base mattress is of course the street from where my parents live. They are descendants of the Chassam Sofer. Not the Chatam Sofer, the, the Chassam Sofer. 
And uh, as I said, the grandson lived in Erloy, and that's how they became known as the Erloy, whatever you want to use the word Chasidim, we'll be careful. But here, here is the, the Rebbe from Erloy, this is what he had to say about this Ramban and or Avram. And I, I hinted at this before, that she said to Paro, oh, by the way, I, I'm married. Which means, again, he got a little bit technical on Allah. He said, no, you know, he's not innocent. Paro's not innocent. Avram was completely clear and innocent, exonerated what he did here. And he goes, not like the Ramban, uh, you know, accuses him. And and again, I think we could find many other commentators who don't like the Ramban. Again, it's not just the Gova Enaim or not. It's like, what did you want from Avram? You know, there's a famine. Just what did you want from him? So I, by the way, I understand the moral issue. I understand the moral problem. I understand that Sarah being put in this situation is not a simple thing. And, and again, but again, the Ramban accused him of two things. He accused him, one, he shouldn't have left Israel, and two, he accused him over here of putting his wife in this compromised situation. Although, let, let's understand something. Let, let, let's recognize something. If there is a famine in Israel, there's no food there, and therefore staying there means that you may very well die, Okay, remember, death, you may very well die. And now you're in a place which is morally corrupt. Okay, let's try this. It's not like he went and said, listen, I got a good-looking woman, maybe you want to rent her. That's not what Avram said. Avram, Avram over here was doing, you know, his best. Okay, let's figure out a way that we can get out of this. So let's not over, you know, let's not overly accuse Avram. So therefore we see that there are mafarshim that, that, that really think that the Ramban, you know, overstated his objection. The Ayelet HaShachar, now, I'll just show you who he is, because you may not have heard of this. If you look at the letters, Ayelet, Ayelet HaShachar, you'll see now the name below this, Rabbi Aharon Yehuda Leib Steinman. So you may have heard of Rabbi Steinman, he just passed away not all that long ago, but Ayelet Avram Yehuda Leib is, uh, is what he named his Sefer, so he stuck his various names in the in the Sefer. By the way, if you don't know, Rari Leib was actually born in Brisk. He, he, he knew the Soloveitchik family from Brisk. He lived to be a very old man. Vayerud Avram Mitzrayma, source 10. Mashma, the low kol anshe eretz kanan yurdu. Because it sounds like not everybody went. By the way, this is going to be a problem. Why does Avram go and everybody else? Va'al korchav she'ayya Which means, if Avram goes, but not everybody else goes, then apparently, you know, it's not, essentially, what did he really do here? What he did is, he says, let's compare this. I'm reading between the lines. Let's compare this to Yosef. By Yosef, when there are the seven, you know, bad years, so we're told that people from all over come and travel, and over there, there are food lines, again, that we get that impression. But over here, no, only Avram goes. We're not told about anybody else who travels. So if only Avram's the one who's going, so then how bad was the situation? So he then gives a very interesting interpretation. I mean, some of you may like it, but but for me, at least, it's going to get us thinking in a particular direction. So not everybody went, because it's as Avram went. 
And then he says parenthetically, and and the Ramban's going to give him a hard time about this. He's going to be, you know, accusative against uh, Avram Vino. And you see that he says this parenthetically, he doesn't really like that either. Everyone really had enough to eat. Avram didn't have enough food to feed all of his guests. Must speak. Lo haya lo must speak. And that's where you didn't have enough. Why would Avram put himself in a situation of, you know, maybe being in a precarious situation because of uh, just Frach Nasad Archim? And also he's going to have to say that this is my sister. So again, Rav Steinman understands very well that the Ramban, you know, overshot a little bit. But he says, but why would, why, it doesn't sound like everybody went. So the truth is that this got me thinking a little bit. And I want to go back to something which I had said before, that that Avram essentially is a nomad, and he travels from place to place. As far as long as we've known, he's been traveling, and and what does he need? He needs places for his uh, for his uh, flocks to graze. That's what he needs. So what's he doing? He's going south, and he just keeps on going south and south and south and south till he's going to find some place, and that's how he ends up in Egypt. Which means like this terrible accusation. How can you do this? Okay, he gets to this place. He sees that it's morally corrupt, so he says, okay, let's try to come up with a plan that you know that nothing really uh, bad should happen. But but nonetheless, as I said. Just one second. N- n- nonetheless, just one second. Yeah. Nonetheless, Rav Steinman actually made it very interesting because he points out something which, again, I, I don't necessarily will follow his conclusion that Avram goes because of Achnasat Archim. I think there's something else going on, and I'm going to try to explain it. When we meet Avraham, and, and I'm repeating myself now. Avraham has has flocks. Later on, when they leave Egypt, immediately. There's too much. They can't stay together. It was too much. By the way, that's also interesting. I'm going to explain that in a moment. Let us not fight. Hello, call Aretz Lefanecha. You know we can go in any way you want. He parade no me'elai. Let's separate. That you can go. Let's just cause this right and left, left and right. Uh, but I don't know if you read the article I sent you about the maps. Ah, so that's why you're smiling. So uh, anybody else interested? It seems to be that ancient maps did not necessarily have the orientation that our maps do. And uh, if anybody's interested, I will send this to you to take a look. But uh, sometimes uh, a lot of the commentaries got themselves in trouble because each one was using maps which they were familiar with and not necessarily knowing other maps or other orientations that people may have known. Leave that for a moment. How can Avram possibly say, go which way you want to go? You want to go right? You want to go left? You want to go north? You want to go south? You want to go east, west? I don't care what it is. Just go which way you want to go. How can he say that? It's very simple. And I've already given you the answer. Because they are nomads. Why? Because they are shepherds. Now, 
going back to the very, very beginning, you know, the first brothers, we noticed right then that there was a distinction between two different modes. What was it? Or those of you who prefer, right, can the, the cowboys and the farmers, they can be friends, right? If you prefer there. We have on the one hand our shepherds, and we have on the other hand those who work the ground. So Avram and Lot are clearly not individuals who work the land. And by the way, I think that's exactly what the Torah meant then when it said, Why? They're the owners of the land. They're the ones who are working the land. They're the ones who can't just move right and left, left and right, north and south, east and west. On the other hand, Avraham and Lot are the are, are the Bedouin. They're the nomads. They can go any place that they want. That's what Avraham said. We're not tied down to the land. There's no land over here which owns us. Right? We can go any place that we want. Which is really interesting because the truth is that he's turning a disadvantage into an advantage. Why is there a disadvantage over here? The disadvantage is, is that they, they they can't work the land. They can't work the land. What do they? What do they have to do? They have to find. They have to find a place that they can graze which means their property is not real estate. Their property is movable property, but the movable property needs something to eat, which means he needs to feed all the things that he has. He has to get his hands on on food. Now, by the way, let's go back a second. There is a famine. There's not that much food around. The people who have it may not necessarily be interested in selling it, which means Avram doesn't have a vegetable garden. Avram is not growing wheat. Avram does not have the resources that all of the farmers have, which means Avram is the one who has to move. Again, just go back to Rav Steinman's question. He's saying, oh, why is no one else going and Avram's going? Why is everyone else? Oh, so it must be, oh, Avram has different needs. What's his needs? He has to feed his guests. I think it's more basic than that. It has to do with an orientation and relationship to the land. Every they're the owners of the land. They've planted the land. They're the ones who own all of the things, but during this time of a plague, they may not be interested in selling, and they are hoarding their resources. And Avram's traveling through. Good luck, you know, buddy. You know, hope you find something. So, so what does Avram do? He just keeps going further and further south till he can find some place that he can graze. He can find some place that he can feed his animals with. Otherwise, he's going to lose everything that he has. He doesn't have land. He only has the animals. He has to feed them. So, what, what, again, what I'm pointing out is that there is a... He's at a distinct disadvantage over here, and that will explain why he keeps on moving south and why nobody else moves, which means I loved Rav Steinman's question. I just think that there's a that there's a very simple shot answer over here that uh, that we can offer. Now, I, I, I want to, you know, to keep that in mind as we move further... So if we track Avraham all the way through, Perak, you'd all of you can start, you'd bet, you'd gimbal, and so on, Avraham is not land-oriented. a matter of fact, the first time that we find any kind of orientation with land is only when we get all the way to Perakaf Aleph, and ironically, or not, immediately before this, is when we have the same story again, that Avram and Sarah get to a place and say, you're my sister, and Avimelech grabs her, and we have the same story playing itself out, and God strikes them, and so on. And then afterwards, 
there's a different type of resolution that then takes place. And that's source 12. God is with you. How do they know God is with him? They've seen that God is with him. He says, no, let's make some kind of a covenant. So Avram is willing to enter into a deal. Now something's going to emerge out of all of this, which we'll see momentarily. And they had uh, and they had taken from him this uh, this well. Uh, obviously, Avram has to feed his animals, and the well is quite important, especially in this location towards the south of the country. You know, you didn't tell me. That's fascinating. Avram, okay, he's wealthy. He has a lot of flock, but he gives it to Avimelech, which is prob- which you know we could think about that a little bit. Maybe it's even counterintuitive. Again, after you know the whole Paro story, Paro gives more flock to Avram, and over here Avram gives it to Avimelech. But something else happens. They make a covenant. Now, what did Avram get out of the deal? Okay, he has a peace treaty, but he gets something else out of, out of the deal, deal which we'll see in a moment. And so on. They, they make their covenant, and I want to skip a little bit. And that's why it's called Beersheva, which is a double entendre there because of the vow and also because of the seven. And they move over a little bit further south and a little bit further to the west. Vayita Eshel Beversheva and Avram plants in Beersheva. Vikrosham Bishem Hashem Kel Olam and he calls out in the name of God. Vyagar Avram Beeritz Plishtim Yamim Rabim and he lives there for a very long time. So I assume that you all saw it. You couldn't miss it. I think I built it up enough and it's very obvious. Avram becomes a farmer for the first time which means the result of this covenant that he just now made with Avimelech now gave him land. Now he's able to plant. Beforehand, he keeps on traveling from place to place to place, and he has this nomadic life. And now as a result of this episode, now he's able to plant. Now, now the purpose of the planting is also just interesting how the various commentaries you know, nuance it, but I, I'm going to... Uh, Say something very, very specific, you know. So give me a moment. Rashi says, you know, Eishel, Rav Vishmul, Chadamar Pardes, Lavimino Perot, Lorchim Besuda. Again, going back to Avram, you know, with his guests. Now he can feed his guests. Now he has food. Now he has his own uh, his own orchard. Chadamar Pundak Lachsanya. He builds a place for people to stay. He builds a hotel. Ubo Komine Perot, Matzino Shonatia Ba'ohalim, and the language. Over here is also one of a uh, plant that you pitch your, your tent. So he calls out, B'Shem Hashem, he, he teaches people, when people eat and drink, so you, sh- you, should, you should praise God. So he uses the food that grows as a way for him doing his outreach work. The Rashbam, though, doesn't see this as outreach, rather inreach. He builds himself a place to pray. Very, very interesting. Pardes, 
Again, those of you interested in Pardes and so, he can take this to another place. He makes a place to pray. Ibn Ezra says something briefly, but the Radak will explain it more completely, as will the Bechor Shor. Eishel ilan gam la'ot, as a sign. What exactly is the sign? So the Radak, I'm, I'm going to skip the first part. V'yikrasham kemosha pirashnu, ulefimasha karalo imavimelech b'devar ishto, going back to the episode with Avimelech and his wife, Udvar HaBe'er, Asafet HaBanim Sham Bekarush Lahem B'Shem Hashem, Sheyachziku Be'emunah Ba'avod Zulato. Ki Nilcham Milchamto, Ad She'Avimelech Shehu Melech Ba'elai Ubikesh Avati Uvriti, Ve'achzir Li Zot HaBe'er She'gazlu Mene Avadav. Uvizet Tuchlu Lahakir Ki Hu Kel Olam. Ve'ein Zulato, Vosebi Bi'itzirav Kirtzono, Kemosha Asa Be'farov Avimelech Ba'avori, do you realize what he just now said? I'll, 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 I'll explain it in a second. Just the Bechor Shor says it in one half a line. That he uses this thing, this thing that he plants, in order to point a finger and say to, to the, those that are with him, by this point, again, the, 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 the entourage has grown. He goes, look, God is with me. Look at the miracle, like, the miracles that God has done. God saved me from Paro. God saved me from Avimelech. God saved Sarah in both cases. God caused kings to come to me and to make deals with me, to make, uh, and, and so on. But, but I, I want to, again, I, I, I want to stop and I want to go one step further and say that there is something else going on over here, and it's land-oriented. But before I do this, just like I did last week, I want to quote something from uh, Rav Soloveitchik. So, because Rav Soloveitchik says something absolutely fascinating, where he noted probably everything that we've seen till now, including the Ramban, including the Sforno, including the Alshech, all those that said, but he's taking you know, Sarah to a place which is so morally reprehensible. So look at what he does with this. So this is from a book called Avraham's Journey, page 104-105. And Avraham's journey apparently took a long time. He finally arrived in Canaan, but later had to leave it. There was a famine in the land, and Avraham went down to Egypt, Lagursham, to sojourn there. Remember the quotation about Yaakov from the Haggadah? Lagursham indicates he didn't go down to settle, but to say temporarily. As it said, all of Yosef's brothers said to Paro, we've come Lagursham to sojourn in the land. Avon left the land of Israel temporarily, intending to return when the famine would pass. Perhaps his sojourn there would be a long one, but Lagur also implies to retain one's identity, to carry on a mission, to remain loyal to a great vision. That is why Rashi says with regard to Jacob, to Yaakov, that there is an equation between Emilavangarti and Tarigamitzot Shamarti. I served Lavan for 20 years, says Yaakov, but I retained my identity. I did not give up an iota of Avram's tradition. We then read, as he was about to come, Hikriv Lavo, to Egypt. There's another place in the Torah that uses the Hifil form of this word, Hikriv, instead of the Kal form, Karav. When Paro was pursuing the Jews, the verse says, Paro Hikriv, instead of Uparo Karav. Rashi points out Hikriv means that he made a special effort to arrive as soon as possible. According to Rashi, the intransitive Karav may be replaced by their corresponding Hifil form in order to amplify the action. Power was so excited about bringing the Jews back to Egypt and putting them to work at their former tasks that he made a special effort to catch up with them as quickly as possible. This is also why the verse in Genesis uses Hikriv. Here too, Avram had to make a special effort. 
because he, now he's going to say it in two opposite ways, indicating that there is a conflict in Avram. First, he says, because he wanted to stay in Eretz Yisrael, he had to compel himself to leave the land. Paro struggled to speed up his army. Avram fought against himself. However, now listen, he's going to say the opposite now. In my opinion, it's also true that Egypt attracted Avram. He knew that if he could succeed in persuading Paro that polytheism and idolatry are wrong, that there is one God who wills man to lead a moral life, then the battle between paganism and monotheism would be won. Egypt was the metropolis of the Middle East, the seat of a developed technology and civilization. Her influence was powerful. If Egypt were to join Avram, the redemption of mankind would be achieved quickly. Avram would not succeed in persuading the people of in uh, Orakazdim, which is, and later in uh, Haran, he had little little impact. The second cultural center of, antiqu- of antiquity. Nonetheless, he tried again in Egypt, only to fail there too. Even so, the disappointing experience in Egypt did not discourage him from pursuing his original goal, the total redemption and conversion of mankind. And he went on his journeys from the Negev to Beit El to the place of the altar which he had made there at the first, and there Avram called on the name of the Lord. In short, even though he failed completely in his undertaking in Egypt, Avram clung tenaciously to his ideal. He did not give up his commitment. He returned to the site where he had built the altar before his journey to Egypt, and there he called the name of God. This universal idea was Avram's lodestar. Persecution, ridicule, indifference, opposition, loneliness, none of these experiences discouraged him. He was persistent and determined. Now, what Rav Soloveitchik says is specifically he went to Egypt for all the reasons that we thought he shouldn't go to Egypt was exactly why he wanted to go to Egypt. It's high stakes, high stakes poker. What do you want? We're going to go to Egypt because if we can win in Egypt, then then, then it's the end of the game. We've won. And uh, the problem is he doesn't win, but he's not discouraged. He continues. But again, I want to point out something which was, again, between the lines, maybe you saw it. Avram has the same experience twice. He has this experience going to Egypt where Sarah is taken, and then he has this experience with Avimelech. As a result of leading Egypt, again, if you follow the Midrash and you follow the Rabbeinu Bechaye, and you follow the really persuasive argument of the Alshech, that Am Yisrael were saved in the future from the Galut Mitzrayim because of Avram going down and creating the Maseh about Sibla Banim. The question is, what does Avram get? What, what's accomplished by virtue of the second experience with Avimelech? Avimelech sees that Avram is successful. He sees that God is with him. He sees that he, it would be quite beneficial for him to make a covenant with Avram because Avram is on the winning side. But as a result of that deal, Avram receives land. And because he receives land, he's able to start planting, again, calling out of the name of God, which means in a certain extent, we know from the very first footstep that Avram took in the land of Israel, we acquired some type of a connection to the land. But, you know, when you come on your pilot trip and you take a couple of steps or you come when you're visiting and you take a couple of steps in Israel, it's not the same as planting your vineyard. It's not the same as planting your trees. It's not the same as actually, you know, living off the fruits of the land. So therefore, the first time Avram leaves, he leaves because he doesn't have land and all the people that have land are able to stay. Avram doesn't have land and he still is somebody who lives a nomadic life and he just keeps on going further, keeps on going south till he ends up in Egypt. But now as a result of the second episode, and he makes this covenant, he's able to live in the land of Plishtim for a very long time, 
But now he's been able to plant seeds in the ground. Now he's able to, to again, have this connection to the land, which is completely profound. And the same way that we can say the Maseh Avot Siman Labanim in terms of the impact on the children, just now think about the impact of the connection land, this holy land. And therefore, this direct correlation between Avram planting and then calling out of the name of God, which means it's the calling out of the name of God. It's Zra'im, which is Emunah. It's the farmer who has a connection with God. It's the farmer who has a connection with the land, which means this whole new episode, this whole new aspect can now be revealed because we've gone to a different place. Now we are connected to the land in a much more profound way, in a much deeper way. And therefore, it seems to me that the, 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 I, I would say what's beneath the surface, and I'm sorry for even using that if that's a, a pun in all of this, what's beneath the surface over here is actually the Avraham who lives the nomadic life, who of course has to end up in Egypt, versus now the Avraham who plants seeds and, and, and plants trees and now grows things, and that's a completely different type of, an ex, uh, of existence. And therefore we understand, again, the Ramban's problem, okay, we, we understand the question. Too many of the commentaries don't like the question. Too many don't feel very comfortable accusing Avram, especially when even the Ramban admitted there was this benefit to it, this Maseh Avot Banim and this protection of Am Yisrael in the future, and therefore there was the, the, the assimilation, which was the, the possibility and the challenge, ends up being avoided. But on the other hand, you know, all the future farmers and all the, you know, the, the future, all the kibbutzim and everything else, which, you know, that first time that you plant something, this is it. Right over here, Avram makes this covenant, but he, he, he gets something. And I, th- I think it's interesting, at least, you know, poetically, that he gives Avimelech some cattle. I don't need that cattle right now. I have enough cattle. He gives him cattle right now when he makes this covenant but he gets something else in return. Now he gets some land and now he can start working the land. So now our nomadic Avraham has become farmer Avraham and that's just a completely different existence. And that also is going to be ultimately an incredible Ma'aseh Avot Siman Labanim.